Hell yeah. All right. Sup? Hello. Hello, hello. hello. What's up, everybody? Yo. We're doing good. Doing good. <laughs> I could tell I just, you uh, are just waking up. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, in the last four days, I've been sleeping three, four hours. Uh, recovering from the workshop days, and now just straight jumping back into freelance work. That's awesome. And, uh, the uh, 20 cups of tea and coffee is not exactly helping. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. <laughs> On it. All right. So we'll just start. We'll go ahead and start with you, Levy. <laughs> Since you're wide awake. Yeah, so I'm wide awake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So can you do a quick introduction? I'm so, I'm so awake, I even forgot what I was, I was asked, supposed to talk about. <laughs> Uh, yeah, just a quick introduction of yourself and uh, uh, what you do and your 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 right. career and all that stuff. So uh, just to confuse people. I'm a Hungarian, Swedish, uh, ex U.S. British uh, artist. <laughs> uh, I worked. Uh, I work in map painting and concept art. Um, I've been working seriously professionally since 2007 uh, in. Uh, smaller workshops in Stockholm, Sweden, and also London, NPC. And I worked at Blizzard for three and a half years in the cinematics department um, as a map painter, map painting, and then moving on to senior. And then I left uh, California to return back to uh, London. Uh, took up uh, NPC work again, but this time instead of feature film, I worked in commercial advertisement. Which I actually found really good because it's it changes so much and you get direct access to directors and producers. Uh, and then I left NPC. Been doing freelance ever since uh, from television, advertisement, and feature films. Uh, along the way, I uh, came up with the idea of industry workshops together with my friends. Um, and now running it together with Daniel Matthews and Richard Burns and uh, Alex Heath. And we just barely finished our four-day workshop uh, this past weekend. We had a really great turnout and everyone really enjoyed it, had fun. Uh, yeah, I guess, does that work as intro? Nope, go on for another half an hour. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You had to start from the beginning, man. Like right when you were born. And uh, I'm just kidding. No, that was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so we can we, we can move on to our our next guest, right? We have Alex. So Alex, yeah. if you don't mind giving a, a great little introduction, and start from the beginning when you were a child. No, just kidding. Okay. Start, so um, in the beginning, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm. Um, my name is Alex Brady. Hi, everybody. Um, I've just. Uh, come from the same workshop that uh, Levy was just mentioning that he organized this fantastic party in London. Unlike him, I've done absolutely nothing since I got back. I just <laughs> laid on my ass. I was a broken person. It was a fantastic weekend. I had a brilliant time. And uh, yeah, just sort of absolutely worn out. So I'm, uh, I'm completely amazed that he's managed to get out of and do anything. Um, I'm a freelancer in the UK. Uh, I work for whoever offer me you know something interesting to do and, and money and I'll, I'll, I'll do it um but recently i've been having a great time working in kind of um video games doing sort of vehicles and little bits of film work here and there so yeah 
loving uh, you know the sort of freelance life. Awesome. Um, I was yeah. Hey, awkward. It <laughs> it's awkward. only it's <laughs> only awkward if you say it's awkward. Oh man! It's awkward, yeah. <laughs> you just say it. Yeah, you didn't have to say it. it we, just, we were just, just all ruined, hanging out. I just ruined it for you, Alex. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I was enjoying that silence. And then you yeah, we, we were just all kind of hanging out uh, and just like appreciating each other. And then you had to like ruin it. <laughs> Jake. Well, that's what happens. That's what happens when uh, Andrew is so unreliable. He's not here today. He just left everything on my shoulders. Mother. So, yeah. Left me all confused and all. It's all good, man. <laughs> He's naughty one. Send him out. <laughs> uh, so yeah, welcome. Uh, it's awesome to have you guys, and uh, it's a different kind of different timing than when you when we regularly run um, our cafe uh, because you're you guys are like eight hours ahead of us. Um, thus, we're doing it uh, during the day. Um, one thing I wanted to maybe start talking about is uh, something that might be a valuable information for like everyone who's joining uh, this uh, this. Uh, podcast live stream however you want to call it uh is how how is your like work and life like in uk and london especially i, I know uh alex you you don't you, you you don't live in london right you you uh, just travel there or just freelance uh, uh, for london? I, I to be honest i find traveling even traveling to london a bit of a mission um so i i try and limit it as much as i can right i, I do communication things but uh yeah no i, I love working from home so my, my work-life balance is uh Terrible, probably, but I love it. <laughs> and <clears throat> for my part, I actually just moved away from London. So, um, but it's, I mean, I still have my, the contacts that I used to work with together in London, so it works out fine. Uh, Freelance is, 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 is going quite well on and off. And I get to do focus on, you know, uh, personal projects. Uh, combined together with the freelance work and the workshop stuff. <coughs> uh, it, I mean, if there's any like specific industry question related to London, I can chat about. Um, from, my uh, from my part is, uh, I'm just curious, like, because every industry is different and London itself, uh, I, ima like, I imagine we'll start talking about uh, uh, London as a film industry f in the first and then uh, move on to what what else is there um, I just wanted to kind of make it closer for everyone who's listening like what the what the film work looks like it's it's, it's totally different to uh, from my experience personal experience I wasn't in London personally I was working uh, from from home in back in when I was in Poland uh, with MPC so I have experience working with MPC and I know like how it's structured and it's totally different or S somewhat different than the way it's structured, for instance, with Art Direction Guild, uh, Art Directors Guild, and uh, work in the uh, uh, in the studio art department, right? Mm -hmm. So I was just curious, like, if there are like, what are your um, experiences with that and and, and all? Uh, so if I give a very quick uh, run through of London, um, so London has some of like the top uh, VFX houses now, in also including ILM, who recently started up their studio. Uh, we have, as we mentioned before, NPC. We have Framestore, DNIC, NIL, um, uh, ILM, uh, Method Studios. And then you have a range of 
even lots and lots of smaller workshops for advertisement and commercial works and game studios. You have uh, Rocksteady, um, is the f first and biggest name that comes to mind. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot, tons, a lot more. And then you have around the greater London area, you have film studios, you have Shepparton, you have Pinewood, you have Leavesden. So there's a lot, a lot of work that is around uh, VFX. Uh, so it's not just movies, but VFX works, uh, pre-production, post-production, all kind of focused in Greater London and London areas. Um, film, film stuff, um, like onset film work. That's more for the the uh, Shepherds and Pinewood and Leaves in the Studios, where people connect up with the uh, art departments there through their networking through the. Um, art directors, ex-art directors, and through colleagues, through recommendations. Uh, other than that, then inside in, in London, you have just like regular recruitment as it goes um, for you know VFX studios. Um, it's, it's pretty much the same as the type of in in, in terms of um, the work. I think it's it. It doesn't differ. I mean, it, films are films, and the whole process of actually creating the artwork, uh, I, it it could depend from a lot of things, like you know how art directors run it, how uh, uh, how much freedom they get, and and kind of control. Then you have the film studio work people when they work together with production designers and directors. There's, there's all, they're all quite a little bit different, so it depends on the people. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but that's kind but, of true, but, like, even here in America, right? Like, it's, it's actually, it's, so it doesn't, like, from what I'm getting, it's, like, it's not too much different. It's like, you just got to... No, no. Right, I, the, the only thing different is, is, well, obviously, the areas in the space and all being in, focused on one single area. But in terms of work and how you approach work and, and kind of the creative processes, I think it's pretty much similar. That's good. I, I hate to kind of confound the, the, the reason, you know, to, to be asked this question because I live near London. I actually find I can minimize my time in London because although it's, it's very inspiring uh, and interesting place and great to live near, it, uh, I find it quite uh, not very conducive to work. So I like to go in, meet, discuss, uh, and kind of and look around the city while I'm there because obviously it's just a fascinating place and then head back somewhere quite quiet and, and I can get on with my work. So I tend to you know, not be the best person to ask on that, I would say. I think, uh, in my experience, it's, it's been easier to do it the way I just described. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just different for everybody, right? So I guess, like, the uh, another question to kind of really, to, to, to kind of help people that live in those areas is, like, how, how is it, like, because in America, um, like, if you live in Southern California specifically, like you have high chances of getting a, a job opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. um, just because there's like tons of goddamn studios down here, right? And Hollywood is like just up the road. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and whenever I teach my students, yeah, whenever I teach my students, they always kind of say, well, I don't, like, I don't live in that area. So, like, what are my chances to get a job and all this stuff? And I say, you know, yeah, we, we live in a time when there's internet, you know, and, and, that kind of stuff is starting to be less and less of a problem, right? I don't know what you guys feel like because, like, people think that all the jobs only live in America, but I, I like to, I, to reveal to people that no, 
That's clearly not true. You know, I think it's entirely, it's entirely possible to get to the level where are offering you to move you to where they are. You know what I mean? On the yeah. internet. So you can go way up to the point where people write to you and say, we'll pay for you to move wherever we are uh, to work for us. So they kind of solve that problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just by the work out there on the internet. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's what happened to you, Mache, right? Like you came down here on like a different company's dime because you were so yeah. badass, And they're just like, <laughs> we need you over here now. Badass. And then they brought you over. From uh, you were working originally on Crytek, or uh, was that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's uh, that's how I got in here. Uh, uh, pretty much just uh, Naughty Dog saw the work that I did uh, over at Crytek, and you know, they just contacted me and say like, "Hey, we want to bring you in." The reason, uh, I, I guess, the reason what you're the the thing you're talking about is just uh, you know, people will bring you in if you're like you know if there's a reason for it. Uh, so. If they because it costs money, like getting uh, getting to US means that you have to have have to have a visa, working visa, and um, it costs a lot of money. It's a couple of thousand dollars just to just to file an application, and there is um, there is no guarantee that uh, once you file the application, you're actually gonna get that visa. You know, so um, it all is it's all in the hands of uh, government at that point. So um, so yeah, you you have to be. Like your work has to be uh, expect like it has to be good enough for a studio to have a reason to spend that extra couple thousand dollars, and usually, usually it's actually way more because they have to take into consideration uh, relocation costs, which most of the studios will probably offer to cover or cover partially, because relocation costs uh, themselves are pretty huge. You know, like considering plane plane tickets, having. Um, a hotel or temporary living space because you're not going to be able to rent anything before you get social security number which is one like a big thing here like without it you cannot cannot do anything even open a bank account so that takes time and and that usually means that they have to cover some some expenses and those rack up to like easily ten twenty thousand dollars in total you know so that's like for a studio Depending on how much they are willing to pay you, it it can be you know, uh, it, you know even if even a few months of, of worth of work just to get you get you to U.S. So you have to think about like if your work is your work better than work uh, of say any artist that live in America or uh, especially in California, which is a hub for for most uh, entertainment artists, you know. So, yeah, just gonna elaborate that thing here yeah so what levy said i mean it's very possible to uh be, be over there and they will they will put the whole bill and all you need to do really is is uh do enough remote work because plenty of studios particularly at the lower end you know the, the, the mobile app games are very happy to you for you to work from anywhere they just want to get work done for cheap they're very open to people coming into the business working with them because you know they haven't got that much money um and then you can use each of those games that gets published with your work in it to kind of be an automatic um, portfolio for the next job. So you can just say, yes, I've done exactly what you want because here's an example of it in the previous published game. And it's, there's no kind of promises. You just can state what you can do and show. And then I found some people were very willing to let you work overseas on AAA games and others would insist that you work for them on location. So far, I've um, selected jobs where I could work remotely, but you know I think that that possibility—if you did want to move somewhere—then it's entirely possible that you could 
you very well end up doing it and, it, and they would pay. Yeah, I have two friends <clears throat> who just got uh, one friend. Um, he got uh, Evan. Remember Evan from uh, AFCC? Like he got an opportunity over at Blizzard, mm-hmm. so he's going to be coming down here and he's going to be living in my my town, which is awesome. Right. And then uh, Jeffrey too, right? I remember I was talking yeah. to Jeffrey yeah. at IFCC. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Jeffrey and I were talking, and he's like, I think I'll be, have this great opportunity coming up, and I'll let you know if it happens. And uh, he, was, he was down here for like a few few days, and we were hanging out. He's hanging out at my studio, um, and he told me about it, and he had an opportunity over at Riot. And so Riot kind of covered the bill, and they got his work visa yep. and all that stuff for him. Yeah. Because, you know, he uh, and Evan and uh, Evan and Jeffrey are fucking both badasses, you know? Yeah, I remember... Working I remember, on that kind of project, moving to the U.S. for some time, and it was... It was a culmination of quite a bit of work on his part, but yeah, it yeah. absolutely worked out. He hoped it seems to have gone really well. Yeah, like I remember, like about a year or half ago, me and him were talking uh, because he came down to visit his girlfriend who uh, already lives down here, and he we were talking at like a a, a bar, and he was telling me he's like, yeah, I haven't done anything but work like my ass off. I've just been working and working and working, and and I remember telling him I was like, dude, that's what it takes. It's just like that yep. hard work. And he was like, yeah, hoping it works out. And I was like, you don't have to hope, man. It's going to work out. You know, like, because it, it, this is the way that I always see it. Like, it's, a, it's like, a, it's like climbing, uh, climbing Everest, right? And, you know, some people will stop, like, you know, uh, like, you know, only a mile in or like not a mile, like 100 feet in. And then, then, oh, this is too hard. And then other people go like maybe 200 feet. And the next people go like 400 feet and, you know, so on and so forth, right? Until, until like, you know, you only have a very selected few who are actually reached towards the top of the mountain, right? And I said, and what, usually the symptom of all these people is that they don't fucking give up, <laughs> you know? Yeah. They, they keep pushing, right? Like, that's like, that's the commonality. You've got to find a way to derive, you, I think you've got to find a way to derive pleasure and satisfaction from it over yeah. a long time, so three years, four years. And across that time, you start to, learn you know you are good after a while because you not I'm not saying that like oh you know i'm brilliant but like after you've done a few games <laughs> drawing cards for example you can draw cards all right you know just playing a video game you just get good at it if you play it a lot so yeah just keep that and, and it naturally gathers its own momentum oh yeah i agree with that i call it the uh, the badass threshold it's like when yeah. you actually start becoming good at something you get more addicted to it and then it's kind of like yeah, exactly. perpetuating. I mean, you've played a yeah. video game where you, you like that way, like Street Fighter or something, you get good at it, you start kicking ass, don't you? It's wicked. Yeah, <laughs> and then you, you want to play more and more. And then, like, I, yeah. I, I'm a victim of this because, like, when I was first playing Smash Brothers, I was kept on blaming the controller. I kept on blaming, like, the speed of the game. And this is because I was bad at it. But then, like, after playing, you know, hours and hours of it uh, and actually being able to, like, stand my own now, uh, I love the game. It's a lot of fun, right? And it's because I got better at it. I, I, I didn't, it took me like 25 years, 26 years to learn that really. I think I never realized that as a kid because I watched all these movies where the hero was just good at it somehow and you're like, oh, okay, it's a hero then. And I was never good at anything at <laughs> first, so I just gave up. And it's yes. only later, it's only in my late 20s I realized that if I just tried quite hard for a long time, for like two, three years and had a bit of a laugh doing it, but it naturally kind of, you know, it, I didn't learn this on my own. I was told this, you know, I was shown this by other people and it, and it worked out yeah. Said, so, yeah. yeah, I'm a big fan of both of you guys' work, by the way. You guys are like epic. And so, oh, thanks, man. Yeah, you guys are yeah. badass. Yeah, and um, 
like I, I just want to make it clear, like whenever people see like badass work, you know, they always assume, and this leads to kind of my next topic. They they always assume that, like you said, like you're just a hero. You just were born that way. You know, like you're like, oh yeah, I just know how to draw epic ass boats and shit. This is how I am, <laughs> right? But like for for instance, like I I had a chance to meet and talk with you, Alex. So I'll, I'll start with like talking with you about this, and then we can pass it on to Levy because I'm sure he could bring insight to this too. But um, you're you're a fucking smart guy, dude. You're talking about all this shit with space and science and all this stuff and like entropy and all this great stuff and you know, and you do you do these amazing like space pieces and uh, space travel stuff, right? And I, I tell people like you can't draw shit if you don't know shit, right? And you're a great you you're a great like you know prophet of this man. Like you're a great uh, example of this idea that I always try to teach my students. You know, I tell my students like. If you don't know your anatomy, you're not going to be able to just randomly start coming up with anatomy. You know, it just doesn't work that way. You know, yeah. and I think you're a, like to to start to start with you. Like, do you agree? Like, like having really good information and knowledge outside of just knowing how to draw well, like actually knowing how things work or how like like how things are actually function, even if it's just a minimal amount of like knowledge, is brings great value to an artist, right? Oh, of course. I mean, I mean, there's there's definitely a place for the completely uh you know naive just off the wall craziness i think that there's always a place but it's good to know how the world works and you know then you know how maybe you can uh, what, what might be possible might what possibly be possible in the future kind of thing and also you know i'm not brilliant at coming up with ideas but if you just go and read loads of books then yeah you are you know, other come up with loads of ideas all the time and you just steal them you know and that's the brilliant thing there's all these ideas all these thoughts just encoded in books and you can just go and just take them. It's amazing. Check it out. Go and go and, and <laughs> just read. Steal, <laughs> just steal from all these other yeah people. Yeah. What, what about you, Levy? Like how? Like because you're you're an excellent matte painting. Your matte painting is not an easy thing to do. You know, it's like you have to really know how light and form and like perspective well, and depth. Yeah. There's there's uh, there's uh, I, I would say like the. It's very hard to recreating reality. It's not just copy pasting photos and thinking like, "Oh, I'm good now. I'm gonna have a beer," and that's it. it <laughs> well, it's, you're not, it, you know, that's not how you do it. Do it wrong, boys. I wish, <laughs> I wish, man. I, mean, I was trying for years just drinking, but didn't wait, wait. So <laughs> what you're just... saying you didn't pixel paint everything? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> you pixel painted no. everything or not? <laughs> Stop lying. I need to well, know. Yes, I think so, Panda Macho. <laughs> no, I, I knew it. I well, knew actually, it. I, we, should, we, should, we should probably rephrase the map paint terminology and title <laughs> because it's not relevant these days at all. What we usually we should call ourselves is really like environmental collage paint, collage off artists. Composers. Yeah, so for one, we're not painting on mats. Yeah. yeah, we're not painting on glass. So we're not. Well, we're, we're painting digitally, but we're actually doing more uh, environment and three D work. But what, when I, if I were to re return to the point about realism, is that what sometimes it's the most subtlest thing that make, can make something work and or break it. It's like it can be like edge sharpness, or keep, it could be like subtleness, uh, subtle shifts of hues. Uh, so it's not just the element is good and you're fine. Uh, you need to kind of be really uh, attuned into the lighting and, and really understand how 
light bounces around and impacts and different materials. Um, so that that's why I, you know matte painting has become become this kind of hybrid of 3D environment art where you actually get to do uh, environment layouts and model it and then light it and then have an understanding when you're tweaking lighting to kind of see how it behaves and uh, working with GI and so on. Um, so these days, map painting is more like a retouch fix section um, of the shots. Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, I lost my point on this. Oh, but like... It's not about the lying, point. right? It's just like you lie yourself into, or you <laughs> lie to the audience that this is real, and it's, yeah. it's really not about making beautiful uh, yeah. pictures or beautiful landscapes. It's all about making cheating everyone to think that whatever it's on the screen is real, where it yeah. is. It, it is called. It is traditionally called the invisible art. If if you do a map painting and it, it steals attention from the narrative and story then you haven't quite succeeded uh, it's supposed to be there as an extension uh, to the set or you know just a background piece but it should never ever take over the story narrative the movies and the stories there is all is purely about that so when when I see sometimes like these uh, when when there's movies and there's all these kind of amazing backgrounds and like oh I know it distracted me from the story I was really you know into this character and really really paying attention to this and now you get all these kind of strange uh, influences of visuals bombarded into your eyeballs and sometimes it's just too much uh, so when it doesn't work uh, I think the environment environment fails and the map painting fails. But I've, I've learned to shut up when we're watching TV and movies on the couch because I just end up ruining it for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, my flatmates, ex-flatmates, uh, Jama and Daniel, are painfully too aware of this, if they ever listen to this. But, uh, It's like yeah. you're, watching, you're watching Dark Knight and, you know... And you're ready for like the grand final. <laughs> fucking yeah. man, those fucking buildings in the background. Fuck those guys. <laughs> you hear like something out of the Sometimes, isn't it? It's easy to go over the board. I know I find it almost impossible not to, you know, get into rendering everything. When oftentimes, you know, the, the, the brief is draw some stuff really fast and lots of variations and lots of ground that. Producers might actually like and stuff like that. Whereas I'm, I'm really interested in like, oh, I really love sunlight falling on water. Let's paint loads of that for no reason, you know, whenever I can. Yeah. So, like, like getting back to kind of uh, uh, to the question and asking it in a different way. Like, so, like, how did you guys pr perhaps improve in the things that, like, for instance, like, how did you get, like, I'm passing this to you, Levy. Like, how did you get better at like? seeing and understanding reality so when you were doing your map paintings you can kind of do like a reality check of your painting like what was like the number one thing that you can kind of always like you talked about subtlety right yeah so yeah. how are you able to start spotting the subtlety uh, well it's um when you work with map paintings and that's a long while you start to especially like sky mats and clouds clouds is by the way one of the absolute most difficult things to paint if you actually decide to paint it and not collage it together. 
I, re I remember this actually, uh, this cinematic job for Blizzard we did. I got one of the color scripts from uh, Matthias. And then uh, the director comes in like, oh, I really love the shape of this cloud. And, you know, can you make it, can you keep it exactly <laughs> like that with its hard edges versus soft edges with the volumetric lighting falling through? And, of course, Matthias has suge suggested it in his beautiful, like, impressionistic painting yeah. style. And, and I was like, there you go, let me make it real. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was, you know, it's one of, it's really challenging. Uh, and especially, you, you really, when you get to those moments when you get a challenging job like that, you start to really look at edges and kind of uh, all the kind of subtle things and shifts. Because it, in, in, in my eyes, the more, more I do it, the more years pass, the easier I pick up on what doesn't work. And it could be like the transition doesn't work or it's too too subtle or too soft or the hue combination doesn't quite work it's it's really weird because sometimes i go outside and i see these clouds up in the sky and, and look completely unreal <laughs> you look at the clouds in real life you're like oh those are fake yeah <laughs> no it actually happened it's like low res <laughs> and it's a, it's a beautiful thing because nature always surprises you yeah uh, uh and you can always return to it, like because it's it's it, it will always feel like unexplored. It will always be elements of some of surprise and kind of exploration. Um, Very true, isn't it? In nature, you you see coincidence, so you see clouds that look like whatever, but you very rarely see that in films because they don't want to distract you with you know from the action of whatever the film is with the cloud that looks like Mickey Mouse for no reason. You know, there's kind of lack of coincidence in films because you're trimming the story down to just tell a specific story but I don't know sometimes you can forge that in your work you can make things look deliberately a bit odd like they do in sometimes in nature you know and it sort of tricks your brain into thinking that maybe there's a reason for that you know maybe it's just the way that should be and that's a kind of powerful way of tricking people into that what you're doing is at least uh, notionally plausible you know Plus, then you, plus for map painting, you have to make things movable. Like your camera is rotating, and you see the volume and the shape of whatever you're painting. So the painting might look good from one angle on one frame, but it needs to look good through, let's say, from hundred frames to a thousand frames. So that's where the tricky technical bits come in, and especially when light starts to change, or shadows moving, or objects staying, or all these things. So. Uh, how often it's you had how often you had a conversation where you just look at nature? You, it's something like really surprising the way it looks. It's so beautiful, and then you saw like, oh man, if I would fucking do it in painting or in, in matte painting, like people would just say it's fake. Uh, <laughs> I, I've been I've been watching. I love nature documentary and the BBC kind of Wild China and uh, Planet Earth, and there's such extraordinary photography there. And I wish, like, I, you know, if we, I would love to recreate environment or DMP shots that would get possibly close to some of those shots that they shoot in nature. Uh, but I don't know. It's it's when I when I look at a lot of the, the movies and the environment work, it, it, it's it, I guess I'm. Hard from working with it that I spot like the bump tricks, the post tricks, the glows, the excess of sharpness, the 
uh, I don't know, the, sometimes the detail stuff as well. Uh, but I, I I usually don't chat much about it because most most of my friends here are are concept artists, and I mean I would love to chat about it, but they would probably look at me like boring. Well, well, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, dude, that's, that's uh, really true. Actually, isn't it? That's that's a good point. I think amongst your mates, you tend not to talk too much about work unless it's like you have like a kind of Skype conversation going on at times, you know, because. Like you say, it's a bit of a busman's holiday. Once you come home from work, you don't want to be talking about it. You want to be talking about GTA or something. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, it's all right. I mean, I, I, I love like doing long shots and ch particularly challenging shots, like technical, because it's, it becomes like a problem-solving solution uh, uh, scenario uh, rather than something that you can f fix with paint. And I kind of love that because it's a whole new element and it's an element of learning and you can kind of add some new tools to the skill set. <clears throat> right on, right on. Wow. So, I, I have a, I have a another like question too because like I'm really curious about this type of stuff. And one of the things that uh, I remember, I had a conversation with my friend about this, and I was doing some stuff and I was setting up lighting in like a 3D environment, and I was like doing it and trying to set it up so like they had like certain bounce light and all this fun stuff. And and my friend was like, "Well, isn't that fake though?" And I was like, "Yeah, it's absolutely fake." <laughs> mm -hmm. And and uh, he's like, "Well, I don't know. Like, doesn't make it look? Will that make it look wrong, or like people will spot it?" And I said, "Well, you know, in films, like a lot of movies, a lot like almost all the lights and setups and the mood and environment and atmosphere is like actually completely fake." You know, uh, a lot of times reality, like if you were to have like a couple characters hanging out in a diner and if you were just to, to film it with this natural lights, the way that the diner actually has it, I mean, it, you can't control how people are going to feel about that. Right. And people are going to have a certain feeling, whatever, uh, whether you like it or not. But if you like dim the lights here, turn off that light, put like a reflector there, have a light stopper or blocker there. You know, now you can like have the lights only on the main characters, and everyone else is like blurred or in shadow, or like now you're like highlighting like the moments of the story, right? And I think like Mad Painters, you guys do this like very similar things, right? And also as concept artists, we're always like doing stuff like that too, right? We're always trying to convey more more than just like oh, this is an environment with trees and like a, a, a buggy, you know? Like no, this is like this is like a scene from a movie. Where this yeah. buck is doing stuff, and where you should feel that this is like, you know, pretty intense, rather yeah. than just like some sort of like passive, like event that just happens to be naturally lit. And I always like mm. try to compare it to like, you know, the difference whenever you see someone's home video versus a film, mm. right? Like you know, you're watching like, like a fake piece of home video where there was no controlled lighting or scene. Um, or camera work or anything versus a film where everything's controlled and there's even there's a lot of posts like you were saying a lot mm -hmm. of like um, color grading and stuff like that to even amplify because mm -hmm. even the colors aren't natural either, even right like um, you know people make fun of uh, Michael Bay a lot for this right because he has like the blue and orange stuff yeah you know, oh look at all these frames blue and orange and I'm like dude like he's not the only one man all the directors like pretty much do this blue and orange you know there's a lot there's only quite a few that like kind of stay away from that, you know, and like I remember up, he just cranks up the saturation to five. Yeah, it's just it's just a little bit more blue and orange than you expecting, but it's definitely I mean, everyone think, else is doing uh, it, right? Like I'm, Spielberg I'm, definitely. 
I'm no fan of Michael Bay, but I think uh, Blue and Orange is a pretty legit choice on his part. You know, it's, Absolutely. Of, of all the choices made on those movies, that was, that was probably one of the better ones in a way. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Is like people are like upset about it, and I'm like, "What? Yeah. That's complimentary contrast." It's like <laughs> it, it, the only reason why he does it, and he amplifies it, because he's all about contrast. His darks are hella dark. His lights are hella light. His mm. uh, colors are super like, and the dialogue. Everyone's fucking screaming. Everyone's running. It's just like seriously an adrenaline, like, like that's why he's one of the better uh, action directors, uh, like around. And anyone that tries to emulate him. You can spot it right away, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like you said, like you don't have to be a fan of his films, but you can recognize that he's understanding what to do and he's using his tools to, to make whatever he's doing work, right? And I yeah. think people need to understand that, that that's, you don't want to necessarily watch a movie that's lit real, you know? Not always, yeah. right? Like even in um, like, like documentaries that you were talking about, they have to find like the perfect moments. They, they film like hundreds of hours of footage of like the same moment just so they can kind of pick and choose the right moment, you know, that yeah. has like the best cinematography. Otherwise it'll just be like some guy jumping off a boat and it's not an interesting, or it can be like, Oh, we got the shot with the sunset. It's like around six or seven, you know, and the water is like calmer and he's jumping off the boat and the whale's actually there now. And he's like murdering the whale and like this epic thing. And mm. so we got it, you know, but it took <laughs> us three months to get that shot, you know? And, I, and people don't realize that. Drawing, but then I came back to like, I was murdering a whale and I, I knew I was <laughs> uh, <laughs> in the right place. <laughs> yeah, but like, so my, my point is, is like, so how much of that do you keep in account too when you guys paint your paintings? Like, you, you don't, like, having natural lighting is great and all, but at the same time, you know, we all amplify it, right? Because we want to push. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's, there's, um, you can eat. You can control focus of attention in the image and the frame in several ways: saturation and kind of contrasts and defocusing and sharpening things, just to make the eye the eye naturally kind of go to a certain area in the frame. Um, and the the stuff that Michael Bay does is is like you said, it's not new. If you look at you know CSI or even the first Die Hard movies and Michael Mann and his his stuff, yeah. Uh, it, it's it's just like it's very much similar, except the difference is that the Michael Bay is so much sharper because of technology and the cameras and the lenses are gotten better and move move towards digital these days. <clears throat> but mm, there's always a narrative to these environment environment uh, uh, extensions and map paintings. Um, it, it it serves a purpose. Like even it, it goes back even to the first purpose of the map painting well they couldn't obviously build the whole thing but it was in the story that they see this village so we had to paint the village so there's you know it's not just like oh let's do a map painting just for fun here um there's a narrative point to you know the subject uh and kind of lead the lead the eye in the sequence of images as well if there's like a sequence of map paintings yeah, dude. <clears throat> How about you, Alex? Like, I know you do like these amazing like um, environments of like space, like different planets and stuff. Like, how much do you consider like putting a little bit more mood and like attention to that versus just keeping it all real, right? Like, making. I know well, you like you love some you love some reality too. Like, you, but how do you harness the two? When I'm doing these 
face things of actually having to make it look real because no one's ever seen one. There is no such thing. So you just try and forge reality as best you can. You know, imagine if you want to make a banknote, you know, you try and make it out of the same paper as the real banknote and you try and get the same printing presses. So the same analogy can be, you know, applied to if you want to paint something the size of a planet that's a different shape, just because that's a kind of fun, easy, quick thing to do on a Sunday afternoon. Then you just look at the way the scale of a planet is. I mean, there's, there's a way that your brain knows that a planet is about 10,000 miles across, you know, from from experience. So you can deploy those same graphics on something else. Or, and that can be applied to anything. So if you want to make like a, you know, a futuristic hover tank that's, uh, you know, just look at, look at real tanks, look at real hovercraft, blah, 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 and, and map that furniture, that surface graphic onto your crazy shape. And it'll, you know, just about tends to just about go far enough to sell it as a plausible thing. People kind of think, well, you know, I recognize windows and handles and engine inlets. So that presumes that the rest of this thing actually works and it, it seems to actually kind of trick people into being able to, you know, suspend their disbelief enough to invest in what you've drawn. So, so you're saying like you, you try to approach more realistic because you are drawing things that are a little bit more beyond the realm of fantasy. It's like actually, it's, it's still fantasy, but you're like trying to use um, basically like what we know about reality to explore like worlds and realms that we don't understand. So that's really cool, man. That's kind of, that reminds me of uh, uh, Edon. Remember Edon? Like he did like a great uh, uh, talk about like, weapons and stuff. And yeah, yeah. like he he's a great example of like his design philosophy is like very similar with the weapon design. Was that he he only he focuses on functionality, right? And he says that functionality alone is what makes his stuff have some um, like aesthetics. He says because when things are functional. Um, we can see them. It's kind of like looking at like a tractor or a construction vehicle. Like there's there's a sense of aesthetic to it, or like a a World War II tank, right? Like they weren't building those tanks to look good. You know, they're building those tanks to survive and destroy other tanks and kill Absolutely. people, right? And but but there's like there's an aesthetic to it, right? Like a lot of games have been like built around this. Like um like the Doom series is like there's a lot of that kind of like rounded tank the German tank stuff, right, and, and their shapes. And if you look at, like, a lot of, uh, like, Metal Slug was highly inspired by that kind of stuff, too, and it has a really beautiful aesthetic. And it's uh, it's really it's a really great kind of, like, point that you're making is that you're trying to, like, use some of what's functional as the, the gateway to your aesthetic, like, uh, images. And I, I think there's a lot of power there, and I agree with that. I mean, and that's by no means the only way to do it. I'm certainly not, like, the you know, the world's, premiere concept art so plenty of people they, they do concept what, art what you're not is, uh, you know what we well, made a mistake you know, I would say I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a, you know an amateur hobbyist I kind of on the periphery really literally in Cambridge I'm on the periphery of London and in terms of the industry I'm on the periphery the people who really do the real heavy lifting they'll design you know to any to suit any taste they'll do their, their amazing job of building you know their designs to fit anyone's you know any client's brief I'm kind of a bit less disciplined in my approach. I'm more like, well, I'll, I'll only do things I'm interested in because I'm terrible at things I'm not interested in. I can't. I'm interested. In, I'm hopeless, and, and it, it, uh, I'm a bad investment. As a, as a kind of a... Right on. So um, I have another question, but Mache, do you have any questions you want to ask? Because I feel like I'm just taking. Um, we could go to QA. All right. Get well, some, I have one questions in. Yeah, I have one question 
just about because you guys just did a workshop, right? So yes. this is a workshop that you you're you're hosted and did yourself, right, Livy? Is that, is that correct? Well, uh, n- not solely. I'm I'm a co-organizer. I work to uh, organize it together with uh, Richard Burns and Daniel Matthews and Alex Heath. And during the event, we had helpers uh, that did this. But the yeah. bulk of the organizing work uh, is uh, um, the three the three of us. Alex has been uh, has been joining us more and more. Um, but yeah, it's 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 been really challenging but fun at the same time because it's a whole new world that you're kind of exploring and you set out from the start it's like oh let's do a workshop and uh, it's going to be fun but there's so many bits and bobs and challenges you're going to go through along the way uh, but it, it's, it's still going to be rewarding because by the end of the workshop you'll have people like oh thank you so much for organizing it was super fun inspiring and, and educational and here's these artists and you can actually talk to them uh, there's That's no, my favorite. There's no, there's no barrier or kind of feeling that you're kind of isolated, which means that it gives them the incentive that things, things are actually possible. You know, these guys are not overly human. They're just like you and me, but just have done it for a few more years than you and have yeah. more experience. And this is what we kind of, uh, we're trying to kind of push and, and make sure that we portray or give it like a fair representation during the days so that attendees and the artists and the lecturers uh, can kind of mingle around in the areas, hang out and chat about anything and everything. Yeah, dude. Uh, I'm a big fan of this, this type of stuff. Like we, we hosted our own event recently in Brazil and it was a very similar experience. Yeah. It was very similar, man. It was just like, like I remember someone came up to me I was like, I didn't even know there's this many artists that <laughs> care about the industry, yeah. right? And I was like, yeah, dude, like there's a larger community um, than you actually could ever imagine. And yeah. and what's what's great is that as artists, we like we can all be from different fields. We're all competition for, with one another. But the beautiful thing is that we love fucking art. You know, and so like regardless that I like I look at Machay's stuff and I'm like he's way better than me, and then I look at your mm-hmm. stuff, you guys' stuff, and I'm like yeah these guys fucking kill me too. Um, but I look at your guys' stuff and I'm inspired by it. I'm like this stuff is amazing. Like this stuff's great. Like this is a great work. And you know, and usually it's it's you know it's it's how it is amongst all of us. We all kind of just look at each other's work, and instead of being necessarily jealous, we're like we get that there's a, a competition there, but at the same time yeah. we're like. Dude, you're dope. Can you tell, teach me what you do? And they're like, oh, yeah. yeah, of course. And then, like, they'll show you. And then you're like, oh, sweet. You're not yeah. so bad. And then, uh, and, and I think people, like, they didn't realize this. Like, they thought it was, like, more cutthroat. I know other industries are very cutthroat and they're not like that, you know. But I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we're, our industry is very, very, like, I've met thousands of people. I, 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 was like, I, I was, like, skateboarding and it has the same kind of vibe as that. There's less, yeah. like, oh, you trick that's i'm really jealous it's more like wicked you did it you made it awesome that's quality yeah. you know yeah yeah. It. yeah yeah and, totally. nice. and, yeah, and, and, and meeting other people in the same background it's, it's definitely you know yeah. i mean when you go to a show it's like you meet your tribe you know because always being yeah, a bit absolutely. of a weirdo loner you know you kind of meet all these other weirdo loners and it's brilliant <laughs> it's a great time yeah dude <laughs> seriously i uh i don't necessarily like when i was working in 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 film i had I'd worked on a few film projects and um I just was not a big fan of that environment because uh, for that reason. 
and that reason alone. Not because mm-hmm. the other, like the other concept artists, we were great. We got along because it was just like, again, we were all in the same tribe, you know? We we're like teaching each other, like, oh, I use this tool. Like, oh, dude, it's dope. Like, show me how you did that, you know? And yeah. we we're like, all oh, cool about it. But it was more like the other people, like the, the producers and the executives, like not all of the people I worked with were, were like this, but most, right? It was just kind of this weird kind of like, uh, like they were they were a different breed of people. You know, they were like, uh, I always compare it to high school. Like they're like the jocks and we're like the nerds, right? And so when I worked at game studios, it's like everybody is a nerd, even the execs. Like I love, mm-hmm. love working at game studios because everybody is generally a nerd too. Everyone loves the same nerdy stuff. Everyone loves like the same, like everyone gets excited about other games that are coming out and you're just like, Oh dude, Metal Gear Solid's coming out. You know, Oh, Grand Theft Auto's coming out. Oh dude. And we're all getting excited together and the movies, same thing. Right. And, and for me, like that, that was bizarre. Like that's why it kind of stopped. Like I, I, I was getting, making almost twice as much working on this film and I got opportunity to work over Blizzard and I was taking literally like half my pay cut but I didn't mm-hmm. care. I didn't. I just didn't care. I was miserable, right? I just was miserable because I just didn't feel like the energy or that like passion to actually try to like hang out and make good stuff. I think that's why animation studios do well too, because they're the same kind of. They have like same tribe mentality, you know, amongst themselves. They're a bunch of animation nerds, you know. But those mm-hmm. same nerds are the same nerds that we like, you know. It's like it's like that kind of group of people. We're just all like we get along real easily. Like I've been hosting these art mixers. Um, here in California, because ever since I went to Croatia, like like li- literally like twenty five percent of the people that like other speakers that were there were like my friends, and I was like, <laughs> why the fuck did we have to fly across the <laughs> like the ocean to hang out with each other for like, a week, you know? Yeah. And yeah. we're like, yeah, what the hell? And so I started doing these art mixers to have people come hang out with each other, and people were telling me they they've been going to other mixers or other events, and they like ours because it's just artists and we're all like no one feels uncomfortable at all everybody's mm. like well let's fucking draw all right and everyone just pulls out their sketchbooks and start drawing you know and it's mm. like not even a big deal and I, I, i'm i'm trying to build that community and let people know this it's a great community and if you're part yeah. of this community you should be proud and you should go to workshops yeah. go to events and you should be excited because you're gonna fucking love it it's it's like it's literally yeah. like disneyland every time and mm. And I, I agree. It's like a tribe. Like we're a great, like, and fun-loving tribe that appreciates each other's talents and abilities. At the same time, it's like we we can be we can be cool with each other, and we're all in on the same joke, right? We all worked our asses off. Yeah. Which is, this is the best part. Like we all get it. We all like know. Like it wasn't like given to us, right? Like a golden mm-hmm. ticket. And I think that adds more wealth to our like immediate friendships that we have. Like as soon as we run into each other, right? Just immediate yeah, yeah. friendships. Like, me and Al became really good friends immediately. Yeah. I was like, oh, I love and this exactly, guy. Exactly, because you come from similar backgrounds, you know. I mean, not similar backgrounds, but you come from, it's like you found a similar mindset from whichever background you've come from. And you've become, it's very easy to base friendship on mutual respect. Because if you see someone's work and it's amazing, you know that's come out of their soul, you know. Whatever they're like on the surface, that's their real them. So, you got, you know, if you respect, if you see their work and think that's amazing, then it's really easy to think whatever they do and say is pretty cool as well, you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I've right. met many artists who are real weirdo dicks anyway. Yeah, I, like I said, I, I met I know like thousands of artists and I only know like a few that I can say are probably not as cool as we are saying all of us are. You know, like there are definitely dicks. You know, you can't avoid that. And I've only met a few and I, I think that's a good number ratio. You know, I wish yeah, it was man. only I wish it was like, you know, hundred percent, but I, I know like 
like 98% of all the people I've ever met are awesome, you know, yeah. which is great. And just I keep that up. Just going to add one more thing because a lot of people asked on it on, um, okay. on chat. It's like, is, really, is, is film really that tough? And um, I, I guess it's, it's a good question for you guys as well. Let me just chip in real quick is it is tough and it isn't. And there is uh, underlying reasons for it. Uh, when you work in the game studio, you usually work there for a little more than a couple of months. Uh, you end up working on projects that go for years. So eventually, even even if you're a new or even if uh, you change studios, eventually you make friends uh, in, in game studios that you know you like to hang out with. And, and you spend like every day with them and you spend that, that time with them for, for years, right? Whereas films, uh, films are structured in a way that every time you get you get hired, you're pretty much hired for a specific project. It's not that, let's say, Warner Brothers hire you and then they allow you to work on all the films. It's, it doesn't work that way. Warner Brothers or, I don't know, like uh, Sony or any other film studio, they only prepare a contract for you to so that you can get paid. Uh, people that hire you are production designers, um, producers, um, directors, you know, all those people. And they hire you for a specific film because they trust like your judgment, right? So any new film that you start is going to be a different group of people working on it. And it's, it is likely you're going to work with the same people that you worked with before, but most likely you will work with people that you've never met before, unless you worked in this industry for like long, long years, right? So when you work with people that are new, that you don't really know, there's, there's some kind of like minor distrust uh, going on. It's not like intentional, but it's more like, I don't know you. So like, I'm not going to be hundred percent open with like talking with you. Right. It's kind of weird. This kind of, because it is, you're, you're focusing, you're focusing entirely on, on the work because that's you're, you're being hired to, to produce, not to chat. Right. So breaking those barrier barriers take time. Uh, and granted it's, it's like with any other industry, it's just a matter of who, who's working with you. There, there's going to be amazing artists. And I had, you know, opportunity to work with some when I worked, uh, last year and uh, last year and this year on uh, Captain America, uh, and a few other projects. And I actually had a chance to work with, uh, with, with, uh, with a guy, uh, Paul Osimo, who, who became like what really, my really good friend, because it, it happened that all the films that I've worked on since I've joined the union, he's been on those films. Like just for, for whatever reason, he, he knew the same people I knew and he got hired. <laughs> uh, so that was great. You know, that was a great starting point because we like from the get go, we would have, you know, funny conversations and, and enjoy, like really enjoy, you know, the production time. But there's also people that you don't know and you, you don't know if you can be uh, absolutely comfortable with them, you know. You know, like what it is when you, when you hang with people that you know for a while, you're going to be really comfortable with what you're saying. And you might be like really offensive, but everyone around mm -hmm. you will know like, oh, okay, yeah, we're just joking around because we know each other and, and all that. But yeah. someone who you don't know, you, 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 crack, you crack up a joke and then he's going to look like, what the fuck are you, what? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like any, so the, the biggest difference is just because, um, you know, in film, it's just like you change your environment of work so so many times. I I know it's kind of different in London though, because you guys pretty much know everyone there, right? You, you pretty much all know well, each other. 
Well, not everyone, but uh, uh, every year the circle is is kind of growing a little bit slow and slow, and you kind of introduce new people and you meet new ones and uh, staying. To, well, we what is usually really nice is that sometimes we get together for a pint or meet up, uh, and then we can kind of see what's happening in each other's lives and what they're being connected to, what kind of features, and that's when you kind of right. get to see them, and then also when you being recommended. Uh, because you met them, like, oh, here's a friend of mine, he worked on this and this and this, and then all of a sudden, like, oh, you do map painting as well, and then a week down the lane, you get, like, a, a job coming in from the guy because he couldn't do it. So sometimes things like that happen, and networking grows. Uh, and also, I think I, I, uh, London is, uh, like, younger, uh, younger generation, too, I think, uh, compared to, uh, say, Art Directors Guild. Yes, yes, I think so too. Um, what's the one else to say? No, no, again. No, this point you were making about the the people not making any efforts to getting uh, to know each other more is because of the well, the, those reasons and the kind of quick turnarounds, and you're just specifically hired for short gigs and whatnot. That's also true here. Uh, the way that kind of the people are shuffled between the VFX studios, like from month to month and six months here and four months here. Yeah. But eventually you kind of get to know each other if you're one single department or in the art department or, you know, rigging or whatever, like assets. And you obviously have to talk to each other. So we'll go and launch and so on. Of course. Um... So I, I, I want to ask like one more question before we, we go to the actual Q&A is uh, it's more of sort of like, yeah, just, just allowing people to kind of like for every, anyone who's interested to, you know, work in London for, let's say, NPC Frame Store and all those studios, um, apart from the fact that obviously your portfolio has to be like, you know, good enough to, you, you know, consider yourself a hireable person, like, is there any, any you know, tips or or pointers that you could give to like aspiring artists that you know, like like I want to work in London. My portfolio is good. Like, what should I expect? Because you know, it's always it's always great to have like, oh, I'm gonna work for a studio and it's gonna be this and that. But like a lot of people don't take into consideration like things like living cost and and you mm. know aspects of living in a different country or aspects of living in in in, in London specifically. I'm curious if you have any any specific things because you uh, like you levy for instance you've been to california and you mm -hmm. can you have a, like a you could compare those two and and you know what's what the differences are for instance yeah <laughs> well in california i spend a lot on gas because you only get around with car <laughs> yep. and uh, in uh, london it's the living that is the killer uh it's it's absolutely crazy how expensive it is and I just I just recently moved out uh, out of London, and the prices are like more than half the price of what you pay, and you get so much more. How is so, that affecting you? You still commute, or are you you, you um, kind of planning to work from home mostly? I work from home. I've been freelancing for a while. Uh, if I do oh, need to go go for meetings, the train is fifty minutes away, which is funny because metro and taking the tube in london takes 45th minutes anyways 
Even if you live like in zone four or zone three. Well, it's probably better than because you can at least sit down and and read books instead of being on you know Devil's Asshole four hundred five and one hundred one. I've been there too. <laughs> uh, yeah, I hate those freeways. I have yeah. to say that I'm probably the worst person to ask about this because I hate going to London. I find it very tiring, very distracting. It's great for meetings, but if I want to do work, you know, it's like either work or go into an office. They're mutually exclusive. You know, it's great to go in and talk to people and, and kind of get a feel for what you want to do and keep in contact. But to actually have to, to transverse into London, I absolutely hate it. So, as I say, wrong place to ask. <laughs> <laughs> You're allowed to hate it. You're allowed to hate it. <laughs> I've got to the point now in my life where I'm like, these things are unacceptable. Uh, in the list of the <laughs> getting up at eight a.m. every day, not into it. Um, eating when I'm told, not being able to eat at my desk, not being able to eat like a huge pie or like a like a massive tinfoil, you know, tray full of crap at my desk. Um, all of this, all of these eating at desk situations are just unacceptable. I, I will not be denied. So. <laughs> <laughs> You're, you're fighting for the civil rights movement of <laughs> eating at your desk. I think every team will find about me eating at my desk. But uh, yeah, no, I just don't like being a distraction to others. I don't like being distracted by others. I want to just crack on and, you know, get on with stuff and then have a call. The only thing is sometimes you are a bit out of contact if you're remote, which can be maddening for um, art directors. But other other art directors are like, okay, I need to do this block of work, do it and come back to me. And then I find it's, it's fine. So I prefer working with Americans um, in, in, on, and they live in obviously a different time zone. and They're much more, uh, much more up when I am. So yeah, I, I think as I say, London's not my uh, cup of tea whatsoever. But I love going there, of course, but uh, not working. <coughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not a big fan of, I think the equivalent of that is LA. Like I don't like LA. I don't like going right. there. You've got, to, like... you've got to be near it, and you've got to go in there sometimes, and it's exciting and, and, and interesting, but, man, I don't want to live there. I love yeah. coming back to my town. <laughs> yeah, I live in a, I live in a very, like, a rich city, but it's very, like, very, like, little. There's, like, nothing. It's very boring, but if you have, like, a family, it's, like, perfect, because there's, oh, like, what, a park what's the name every... Of the Irvine. It's where uh, Wizards oh, are. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so if you're like a person that likes to go out and do shit, like you'll hate you'll hate Irvine. <laughs> but if you're like probably like you and me, Alex, like where you just don't like to do shit, you just kind of oh, like man. to just every <laughs> once in a while. Every <laughs> once in a while, doing shit is cool, but like, but I like just going to like only one place and seeing my kids oh, run dude. around and then right. just hang out. I like this. Really the That's the thing, right? If only people could just get into line with me rather than expect me to get into line with them, so the whole world should just get into my routine. And then yeah, up at the same time every day, do the same things. It's just like as long as the mental activities are different each day, the physical ones can be preferably identical, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's we can move on to Saturday, like Monday and Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> I agree, man. I'm just like, I just want to relax, dude. I'm, I'm done. I'm too old. I'm like, I'm not even that old, but I feel like it's time. It's time to be like retired. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, yeah, just focus on mental stuff. No, you see what it is. What I find, I really love working. Hard. I really love working hard, but I just find that I'm distracted from that by, you know, travel and stuff. So, I, you know, if I want to work really hard, I'd stay at home rather than going to work. Yeah, you're probably like me. Just like turn myself away from all the distractions and, you know, no underwear. Just you know, balls out and you know, <laughs> screen in my pen and 
ready to go. As we're doing this interview, he literally has balls out. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for the visuals there. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Welcome. All right, I guess we're ready for, um, we should move on to QA. Uh, There's uh, plenty of questions and I'll I'll let John to kind of go through them. Yo, all right. Yeah, for the first one, it says, uh, it's, it's directed to Alex. It says, you talked about starting out doing uh, sort of isometric vehicle templates for indies ages ago. Can you talk about it a little more? Uh, always a treat to hear about hard surface design things. And more general question to all. Well, let's get into that one first, and I'll go ahead and go. All right, sure. Well, let me, I can bring up some of the work that would be relevant. I mean, uh, I did lots of uh, car designs. I, I guess that's kind of relevant to the question, right? This sort of EA um, battlefield yeah. car work. Let me bring some of that up. Yeah, so I found um, isometric or app phone app games are ten a penny. It's a huge market for work. And, you know, it's quite easy to get into doing concept art for it because they are used to dealing with people fresh out of school or with not much experience. And then you can get into successively larger games. So I went from like a kind of, I think it was like a cartoon Viking game doing axes one month to a drift game where you had to do lots of little cars and then uh, a few more of those and then Battlefield came along. So my experience is very limited. It's literally sort of a couple of phone app games and then a AAA game. And that that was the way in rather than trying to do it on any kind of, you know, I promised I could do a really good job. You just do it small-scale versions of the same job that the AAA game requirement, uh, companies require. Can you see the previews on my screen, by the way? I'm yeah, sure we can see it. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that, that seems to be like a solid way into the work from... Uh, it's like paid training. You know, you don't get paid very much at first doing these, but um, who cares? I mean, you, you're making enough to make rent. So you don't have to live with your parents. And, um, <laughs> you know, you, you, you're getting all this experience and, and portfolio which is which is gold dust really so this is a this is a great way of earning money doing something you don't entirely hate um i wouldn't say it's exactly fun all the time but it's it's kind of satisfying it's a bit like playing a game well you know it's not the most creative thing but just the act of playing it well like you, for example this is a make vehicles that look like real world ones but but aren't just enough so that they can't get sued uh it's quite a satisfying game to play, and it uh, can be quite lucrative after a while. So, yeah, I would, I would say, even if you don't like cars, then think about what you do like. You know, if you like drawing swords, then specialise in becoming the best sword designer for little games, and then you'll get to big games quite quickly, I think. Dope. A uh, more general question to all is, can you talk about how 3D modelling affects your workflows nowadays, maybe insight uh, into approaches and techniques for illustration slash design you've recently taken a liking to or refined uh well i would say for mapping it's becoming more and more required um they might even actually actually uh, ask it in the studio job uh, postings as well um less because the painting work becomes less and less they want to do more interactions uh with environments, lighting reactions, and uh, the environment teams are kind of, um, well, they develop a lot of assets. So the, having like a good base of, of, of 3D is good. Now, whether you prefer to have a base in Maya and then go into more high end sculpting tools like ZBrush, uh, uh, 
uh, 3D code and some other stuff. Um, it's, it's definitely recommend, recommended. Um, it's especially on the film side, on the film floors, where you definitely encounter it. Um, a couple of years ago, years ago, you were okay with uh, doing lots of 2D stuff, stuff and environment stuff. You, you can still do it, but you might end up doing a lot of texture work, and that's not that all that fun all the time. So definitely recommend doing uh, some 3D learning. And uh, it's quite easy. Like the softwares are becoming so easy to learn these days. Uh, so many tutorials and kind of online schools and workshops and kind of starting positions for you to pick up. Uh, so yeah, I definitely have a recommend that. Or I'll just if if you want to do more matte painting and stuff, uh, it's also relevant to conceptual art as well. To be able to kind of turn things around or uh, relight things or change things uh, very quickly, uh, the 3D can give you that freedom. Um, what else? And that's what I can think of at the moment. Hey Jay, you want to add to that? I know you're working in 3D right now. Shut up. Reveal. <laughs> Look at that. Don't reveal stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you should learn 3D. Like, you guys should just learn it. Like, I mean, here's the, here's the truth, dude. Like, first of all, 3D softwares are getting just too easy to not use. You know what I mean? And, um, I mean, there was a time where being a 3D artist, like, that was, like, a, definitely a hard thing to do. Like, like really, that alone was like a whole career, right? Like just knowing how to make boxes, you know? <laughs> and now it's like like 3D software. There's like 100,000 different versions of 3D softwares that you can use to create all kinds of amazing 3D objects um, that are amazing, you know? And, and you can still learn like fundamentals and all that great stuff from 3D. You know, you still have to understand design, shape, forms. You have to understand lighting. You have to understand, um, you know, edges and like all that stuff, even in 3D, you know. And you have to consider all these things still. And I like to use like Vitaly as a great example, Vitaly Bogorov, a really good artist, a friend of ours. And I always show his stuff to people because that's what he does. He basically did nothing but 3D, and I don't think I've ever seen him draw anything, you know? Um, and I'm not saying that he's a bad artist, but he doesn't... He, 2D to him is not important, you know? But he's able to convey great and amazing aesthetics and designs and stuff just in 3D. And I look at his stuff, and I'm like, damn, dude, that's so dope, you know? And I think it's important to realize that you know, if you want to be a great artist, you know, why limit yourself to only 2D? Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. 2D is very important for sure. Like, it's very, definitely very valuable because it definitely forces you to learn very fundamental stuff because you have to kind of do it from scratch, right? It kind of forces that, which is awesome. It's good to do, right? Uh, but it doesn't mean that if you jump into 3D, you're wasting time, that you're, oh, I could be better, getting better at my 2D. Like, no, like your 2D may actually get better because you start to see things and feel things in 3D. Then you go back to your 2D drawing and start to see that it's not actually very three-dimensional anymore, you know, or what you thought it was, but you were, you were just in the 3D software, so you can see how flat it actually is, you know? And so 
And being able to feel and see that space is very, very important, regardless if it's 2D or 3D that you're good at. But I will encourage you to get good at something, whether it is 3D or 2D. You should definitely perfect one thing right away. But don't think that it's going to take you your lifetime because in the past that was very true, right? Like doing one thing would take your whole lifetime. And we didn't live as long as humans either, right? But now like like – you guys, you can learn. Like, I, it took me about five years to probably be really good at painting, you know? And I'm only getting better at it because I keep painting, obviously. Yeah. But now I'm like devoted my time on like, you know, uh, game engines and 3D, right? Like making like VR experiences and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it's fucking not that difficult. Not necessarily, I'm not saying that it's impossibly hard to learn. Um, 3D or anything like that, or it's like I'm trying to say that it, it isn't. You know, uh, the only thing that's hard is the tool. Like I just need to learn the languages, I need to learn the terminology, I need to learn the tools and the buttons and how they work. But my aesthetic and my understanding of aesthetics and stuff still exists in my brain. You know, I just need to learn how to kind of relay that into this new software, and that that could take me maybe two or three years to do to be really really good at it. You know, but that's still not a lot of time. That's actually a very limited amount of time. It's like very short amount of time to potentially become really great at 3D, you know? And so it's kind of silly to think that, why, why should I learn 3D? Like, just why not? Why not learn 3D, you know? It's a bit like saying, why not learn to drive? I mean, there's no reason why you have to learn to drive. It's just really useful, a lot, you know, and fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so I think, um, you know, regardless if it's a requirement or not, you should just pay attention to whether it's like, something that you would actually can see a lot of value in. If you can do that, if the first thing you can see, like I can see a lot of value in learning 3D, then just do it, right? If you don't, if you don't see the value, like if you just like are really blindsided by it, you don't really care about that stuff, then don't do it. You don't have to. But if you like see the value, but you keep asking the question, should I learn 3D? Should I learn 3D? When you know you should, you see it and you see like, oh, I'm impressed by this stuff and I wish I could do mm-hmm. it. Then, mm-hmm. then start doing it. Like, you're wasting your time by asking these, like, questions and going in circles. Just jump into it. Feel the pain, yeah. dude. Feel the pain. It's going to suck, and it's going to be hard. But just like we were saying earlier, like, like, nobody's good at anything when they first started out, right? That's ridiculous, right? But and, even, even at the start, you can get productive, like, uh, results out of it. Like, if, if you want to make loads of cylinders that are nested and in perspective that's incredibly difficult to draw you know lots of cylinders at an angle all one inside the other it's all kinds of boxes and all this shit whereas in 3d it does it in two seconds so even from even if you can just make a cylinder and move it around into another cylinder you've already got something that you can usefully do a screen grab of and draw over the top of um and that's you know that's that's exactly what i did as a demo this weekend just gone let me just bear with me a sec i'll show you what i mean i mean it's it's so easy to get this stuff that 3D does really well out even early on, uh, like like doing stuff in perspective. It's not brilliant if you're if you're not good at 3D. It might take you a while to get textures right or something. But this was drawn over literally just some cylinders that I made in 3D in seconds. You know, if you can make that, then you can you can start doing stuff with 3D and think of all the other shapes you can line up. It doesn't need to be perfect. It doesn't need to be Toy Story 3. You know, as long as it's something to work with. You're, you're, so you might as well. It's a bit like you know. Asking why would I want to play with Lego or something? Well, because it's fun and really make you make three D objects pretty easily. Yeah, I mean, even the classic painters Leonardo and uh, Michelangelo, they didn't just draw 
pencil sketches. Like they d- dabbled in like sculpture and painting and like sciences and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, and, and it's because like you believe it. Oh wait, say it again. I was going to say Craig Mullins. I really liked his attitude when I saw his work. How he just fearlessly tried anything. He was like, "Fuck it, I'll draw with pencil today," or "I'll you know whatever." I eat. Any subject, mm-hmm. he would bring the same sophistication and interest to dinosaurs or or space or or a picture of a woman reclining or whatever. He would just bring his his, his a game to it every time. I, I find that very inspiring. Yep, and I only going to add to the, to this. Uh, I, I'm sure there is a lot of people that that think like, ah, oh, it's just so daunting to start because like there's a long road ahead. Uh, think about this way: like, let's say you already work or do whatever you do in 2D, right? Just spend every day, spend some time on learning 3D, like half an hour. If you want, like, really want to learn 3D, spend half an hour every day, and just 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 use it. Don't don't think about like being like super like even even if you're not super serious and you do it every day you'll learn enough that you will start to see application of what you've learned uh so far yeah like when yeah. i worked on uh, jupiter ascending i i was um i, I started learning moto because i was like you know i wish i could do some stuff in 3d because this would help me with this film so might as well just start now and spend like an hour every day and see where it goes and granted two weeks later I was already using it for work because like even th- like you said just creating few boxes that that saved me like a ton of time to get few boxes get like get them like really really easily lit you know just put some one or two lights and you already have you know 20 percent of your work done where otherwise you would have to go and do it all in photoshop it would take forever you know mm. oh, forever ever i mean I, I i have to say that i can't forever but, you know, with uh, people say, oh, you shouldn't use 3D, you use photos. Well, I say, if you put enough 3D renders and photos in one place, your brain starts to be able to kind of, it has enough, uh, it's like content-aware scale. It can, it, there's enough information there to start building new stuff and filling in the gaps so that you can start drawing something quite realistic from, like, if you put in a bit of tree texture, you can draw more tree that looks quite realistic because you've got that example to draw from. If you've got some water in there, you can draw more water so but you can almost create something realistic just from using these realistic sources i find that to be really helpful another another tip i would say like when i get a new new job or a gig and there's some particular bit that is new to me i need to problem solve it uh those could be like triggering moments like how do i it's an exciting moment because then you think like how do i solve this problem and that's where you start researching yeah. and looking into video uh, clips and then, and then learning it. And then you can add it to your tool set. So you can also do the habit thing, learning like that spend from 10 minutes to 20 minutes per day or 30 minutes per day to also using it for work research. How do you do cloth? How do you do, you know, uh, uh, design cloth that is wrapping around a certain shape? How do you uh, do practice? How do you do like certain types of effects or anything and everything really? And it sh- it could be, and it doesn't have to stick to what you're doing. Like you did, you do if you only model character stuff. Why not? You know, use other uh, other things that that you can you can use later on, because all of these things will amount to like a bigger bigger tool set for you. 
So I, do, I, I learn anything and everything that is, it doesn't have to do with map painting. Like it was like, oh, we need, I, a, I need a kind of smoke and fire. Then I go and look into Houdini or Fume Effects. How do I achieve? And you find tutorials that are like 20 minutes long. And you have like a really yes. good base. Yes. Yep. That's, I think that's so true. And I, I, it's funny that we're discussing this now because it was, it was a quote that you made a long time ago, I remember, um, where you, you'd drawn a spectacularly realistic seascape. And you just said, well, and someone was like, how did you draw this? And you said, well, after you've drawn enough of them and looked at enough photos of them and real ones, you just kind of know the palette and you can draw it. And uh, I don't know if you can see on the screen, there's one of your um, these incredible photo transformations you, you do. Uh, this this changed everything for me when I saw that you found a photo, used the palette and just pushed the colors around until something appeared in your page. And then you just brought it out in this incredible, I mean, where did that even come from, This this expression of, your imagination. I mean, that that was a huge change for me to see that that was possible. Um, but just make, and if you uh, guys, if anyone sees these on the internet, just look at Levy's um, process paintings like this. They're mind blowing. They're all like this, and they're just amazing. Oh, thank you, thank you. I think I think I was actually tricked because in learning that stuff because I, I'm a, uh, I'm a huge fan of Mullins and back in two thousand five and six. When I didn't have any kind of any kind of work, and I was just I was actually going to college to learn like web programming and uh, so you know database programming and website design and stuff. But under night times, I kept painting and painting and like loving falling in love with uh, Mullen's work, and it all looked so chaotic. So in my mind, I started thinking, wait a minute. So does he push all this stuff around and kind of chaotically does it? And that's how I kind of started experimenting with this stuff. It's like take some that elements. Was, that was game changing. Yeah, absolutely game changing. See that that was how you could just you didn't have to create an image from scratch. You could just push it into its existence bit by yeah. bit, and each step allowed you to see the next step in a way. It was uh, you know as if your mind just didn't see the whole picture all the way, but it could push you in the right direction. Like when you're when you're going home. Sometimes when I have to do a journey, I don't really know the way. I just know which way to turn at each corner. And that mm. gets me home. Um, and it's almost a bit like that, where your brain suggests the next thing you need to change. And after three or four hours of changing the next thing, you have yeah. a whole picture. That changes I, everything for me. I touched a little bit on the subject of thumbnailing because it actually relates to why that, even though approach is a little bit different, it, it basically is a little bit same in, to, in terms of why it works. And it works because you have relationships within, let's say, like a starting reference is a photograph. It's based in reality, so you have relationships between light and shadow and the hues. Now, if you maintain that relationships, despite how crazy and chaotic your image is, you'll 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 end up re, uh, uh, discovering something. Like your brain will interpret something in that new imagery to be almost as real, even if it's, 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 it could be like a little little segment, a little piece. But you'll yeah. you'll recognize something. Uh, exactly. Way way more easier than just pushing and adding random hues into a combination, uh, which can also lead to like happy accidents, but not as often as if you start with something yeah. that is based and grounded in reality. Yep. Yep. One of the next that's questions. That's an incredibly reliable way of making uh, quite complicated images just appear out of nothing. If you try it, it's amazing how your imagination can just 
see what looks right and just you know that that looks a bit like you know someone's face and then you bring out the face and it's a thousand times better than I could ever have drawn instantaneously from scratch. Weird. <coughs> Right. So you hear that, guys? Just <laughs> use your talent. Just use your talent. <laughs> <laughs> I love 3D. Yeah, no, no practice. Just jump into 3D and start making cool shit. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's, get, let's get a few more questions before, before we finish. We still have a few. So. It says, what have you seen uh, or experienced in terms of IPs getting across the line in terms of film production? I know that nowadays there aren't really any gatekeepers in the sense uh, that we can just make what we want and put it on, put it to the people. But if one were to aim for larger screens slash investors and getting production houses to pick up on uh, or back it, what would you recommend it says, so far I'm thinking develop a solid proof of concept and do the groundwork, then build enough awareness to get it rolling. I think the best way to come up with an IP and sell it and do all that good stuff is to actually just make it. Uh, for instance, like uh, Mark Millar, who did Kick-Ass and The Kingsman, and now that he just got Chrononauts picked up. He made the comic book, and he sold the comic book, and it was fucking good. And people were like, we want to make a movie off of these comic books. And the movies came out, and they did great, you know? And so, like, he did another one uh, with a great artist, uh, Sean Gordon Murphy. And it got picked up again, you know? Uh, I think one thing that I've learned is that if you really, like, it's a hard, it's a hard, hard burn, man, if you want to, like, go for the like you want to build your own ip and have it picked up and all that stuff right there's a lot of things that go with that like like you said awareness uh having connections like knowing people in the industry that are going to help you out you know having an agent and all that kind of crazy stuff and even then it still could take years you know so there, yeah, that's and you have to be careful who you who you dealing with yeah. uh, so that you're not gonna get you know screwed so, so a lot of resilience, right? A lot of resilience and a lot of patience. But I think the one of the best proofs of concepts almost every time is making something. Whether it's like a short film, like uh, we have friends who've made short films and they're getting talks and making movies, right? Uh, we have friends who've made comic books and they're again in talks and making movies. Um, one of my best friends, Dan Levisi, he's he's really well known for this, but he he didn't necessarily make a comic book, but he made like basically one of the largest pitch books you'll ever see in the history of pitch books, right? It's like three hundred pages of just uh, like nonstop characters and story and all that stuff. And then alongside that, he has like a treatment that's like thirty to fifty pages long, which is just uh, like a like an amazing, amazingly painted storyboard, right? So, like again, like but he has products, right? And he's been building that over the over the course of seven years, you know. And he's going onto his uh, second movie deal with a director and all that stuff, right? And so, so the, the the point I'm trying to make is that it's best to make stuff first. Like, because I've, I've went and made like uh, small pitch packages and stuff like that and put it in front of people. And it's just, it's just too lightweight, right? Unless like, uh, unless I'm Steven Spielberg, right? Then I can just have literally like a page of words and just show it to somebody and they'd be like, all right, I get it. You're Steven Spielberg. You can make it, right? But even Steven Spielberg had to make short films and had to start small, right? And eventually work onto the bigger films where he gets a lot more, um, you know, credit. 
and reputation. Even George Lucas, when he was trying to make Star Wars, they laughed at him. Like, Fox was like, the fuck do you think you're going to do with this stupid, like, star movie? It's, like, got laser swords in it, giant talking dogs, and robots that have British accents. Like, this is a weird-ass fucking thing you got on your hands, right? And, oh, yeah, by the way, magic people, you know? And... And at the time, people were like, that, that would make a lot of sense in a board meeting, like the, those kinds of complaints, right? They didn't have the hindsight, obviously. And so Lucas had to like literally be like, okay, you guys have all the profits of the movie. I make all the profits from the merchandise. And they're like, all right, we'll give you like $11 million, which like inflated would be about 40 to $50 million today. So it's still, it's like considered like a, literally like an independent film, the first Star Wars, right? And... Look what look what happened, right? It's like a huge hit. It's like one of the largest, like freaking franchises that's ever existed, you know. And it's getting a reboot, you know. And it's getting picked up. It's getting directed by one of my favorite directors, who I think is going to do do it justice, right? But like, but even that director had to work his way up, you know. Like everybody that is a director started somewhere, started like, like they have like great stories of how they used to do short films in their backyards, you know, with their parents or their friends, you know, and this type of stuff is just kind of natural. So I think what I'm trying to get at is that if you want to build your own IP and you want to build your own story or whatever it is that you think is going to be great, then actually build it and actually make it and actually put it in front of people and actually tell people, have people tell you that it's bad or have people tell you that it's good. You know, so that you can know whether it's good or bad, you know, whether you should improve upon it. Just like art, right? Like art is the easiest thing, I think, to, to improve upon because everybody can see that it's bullshit, right, right away. Like you can look at someone's art and know that they didn't put enough time and practice into it and you can critique them on that, right? You can be like, look, you need to work on your anatomy, you need to work on your lighting, you need to work on this, right? Because it's, it's very clear, it's very transparent, right? Um, and so you can really improve by doing another painting, like, literally the next day, right? But, like, making a whole IP, like, that's hard, man. Like, like you have to, like, there's all kinds of things, including art, that could, you know, make it bad or good, right? So you have to, like, j- just to just get started and put it out there, even if it's a small chunks, just make something, right? Because it's, it's too, you don't want to live in a world where you think your ideas are great, and then you try to put it in front of people and they tell you that it's awful and then get so resentful to those types of comments because I get it. Like you put a lot of time and effort into it. I understand. But I mean if you really want to make something great, you got to really like, – you don't want to run into like with the the, uh, the guys who did Matrix, the Wachowskis, right? Like they made the, the Matrix and it was like one of their, their first things they ever got to do, right? And it was a huge hit but potentially they didn't know why, you know? Because they just kind of like stumbled upon it uh, potentially, right? And because of that, they weren't able to kind of like catch that magic again, that uh, lightning in a bottle with their other films, you know? Yeah. And and it even with the Matrix trilogy, like even the sequels weren't as good, right? They should so have you, let the people who did the Animatrix do the sequels because the Animatrix is really good, I thought. Yeah, and again, that's like people that might have grinded and done stories over time. They really knew what the, the fuck they're doing. Even John Lasseter like did like amazing stuff before he started working at Pixar, but he did his own shorts, his own short films that got him the job at Disney and then working on this project where he was using 3D space, got him the job at Pixar, right? And then with Steve Jobs, like knowing what it's like to fail, 
was not letting them fail, right? He's like, keep fucking working, you bastards, because this is going to change the world of animation. And they had to make, like, they made commercials, a bunch of commercials until they actually made Toy Story. And Toy Story's original draft was garbage. And so they had to redo it all or they were going to lose all their funding. And then they did pick. Uh, then they did Toy Story, and after Toy Story was obviously changed the world of animation. Not only was it the first fully like three D animated movie, it was like it like was amazing, you know, you know. It wasn't just a good like like move in technology. It was a great movie, and and then people loved it and became huge fans of it. And so they had the problem of how do we make it again? How do we make something good again? You know. And luckily for them, you know, they had someone like John Lasseter who's lost his job at Disney, who's failed before. And they had someone like Steve Jobs who lost his company, Apple, who's failed before. So they had this mentality of what to do next, like knowing that the second project is actually going to be the hardest one to do because this proves if you're worth something. And so you need to understand that. So, like, you need to be able to create your projects, right? And put it in front of people so you can get real criticism, real feedback, instead of like you know, um, you know, like you know, just hypothetical feedback. You need to really put it in front of people uh, and actually try to pitch it to people too. Try to pitch your idea to people and see how they respond to it. You know, and you'll be shocked. Like I, I did, a, they had like a really great section in uh, Blizzard where we were allowed to pitch and stuff, and it was great. I did some pitches, and like I did like eight different pitches. And I changed my story eight times because every time I pitched it, I learned, oh, I should have said this this time or I should have done this at that time or I should have like, like moved my body at this moment or I should have had an image now to represent this instead of talking about it because it's boring, right? Like you don't – you can't – you'll never know until you're in that situation, right? Like I, when I had like – a great example is like when I was trying to explain the establishing shot, like people got – like they lost the geography of my scene, Right? And so when I just fucking just drew it and said, they're here, and then we go here, and then the camera moves there, and they're like, oh, yeah, we see everything now. You know, like, it wasn't, it was like, I saved so much time. Like, and, like, you don't get that unless you, like, put it in front of people. And sometimes you don't even realize that you don't even have a story when you start to pitch it to someone. If you're pitching to someone, like, I got a story. It's about, like, a thing with stuff. Oh wait, but let me go back. Like there was once a oh, guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you're like you're not really telling a story anymore. You're just kind of like world building, right? You're just telling about a world, and that's kind of boring to be honest, right? Um you know, like when when you tell stories to your friends and stuff, imagine like the way you tell your story. You don't tell them just the facts, right? You don't say I went to a different country. It was Croatia. Croatia had a hotel. I had the hotel. I stayed in the room. I had a bed. I laid in that bed and I slept in that bed. I woke up. I went to the event. I saw people. I hung out with people. Then I went from one place to another. We drank coffee. We drank beer. I got drunk. Then I went home because I was too drunk and I had to go to sleep. Like no one wants to fucking hear that story. Oh, keep going. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> but like, but that's the kind of story I would be telling. But I would be telling it in, di- in different contexts, right? Like I'd be like talking about, dude, after I fucking got so smashed, I had to take a taxi. And the taxi driver was like telling me all about like the Croatian mafia and shit that was near my hotel. Like he's like, oh, yeah, I know that hotel. It's right across the street from like the old like Croatian mafia house. And I was like, what the fuck? And he's like, yeah, dude. And, and that's like, like you want to know more now, right? You want me to keep continuing? I do. Story? I think you do. Yeah, that's how you tell a fucking story, 
You don't tell like, oh, the taxi was yellow. That's irrelevant. That's like no one gives a fuck if the taxi was yellow, white, brown, green, or if it was a spaceship or it was my, the taxi driver was a talking raccoon. Wait, 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 wait. Right? If it was a spaceship, then people would give a fuck. No, man. Nobody would give Are a fuck sure? about talking sure? raccoons. That's what I'm saying. That's why in Star Wars work. <laughs> That's why Star Wars work. Because no one questioned why Han Solo's partner was a giant seven-foot dog. No one's like, what the fuck? Yeah, no one started freaking out. Nobody was freaking out when uh, Darth Vader was choking people on his board meeting using the Force. Right? No one was like, wait, what is the Force? Explain yourself. Like, stop, pause the movie. All right, let's get into this. What's going on? How does that work? Show me the math. You know, nobody, <laughs> nobody cares, right? Because like you're, 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 you've just showing enough for them to understand. Oh, okay. In this world, there's talking dogs, and there's talking things, there's laser swords, and there's spaceships. Got it. Let's move on. Oh, but it's about this farm boy who's like going on this adventure, and he's about to save the world. To dis- and he's like, or the universe by destroying, destroy this, uh, this giant moon thing no don't get me wrong all those little things are important that's what makes different stories feel different right when you have like it's in space rather than it's um it's on earth right well it's more localized you can have the same story arc the same story structure and that's really where you can kind of have the differences right but i what i'm trying to get at is like what i've discovered in good storytelling is really just the context of what the story is about right versus like what's actually in the story and i think people focus so much about the spaceships and like about the the laser swords, but they forget that's really it's, it's a little bit more than that. The reasons why you like the spaceships and the laser swords are people who are driving them, who are wielding the swords, the people that are actually yeah. that that are involved versus like the facts of what's going on, right? And uh, and I think it's important if you guys are telling stories, you don't discover that. Like I had discovered that the hard way because I was trying to pitch my story. I had this story about like. Um, Basically, it's in space and it has like it's basically Ocean's Elevens in space, right? And I kept on explaining the world and like how the mechanics worked, and it was just fucking boring, dude. Like no one cares that I read like a little bit of science articles online, and mm-hmm. I think smart, right? No one cares about that, dude. I'm not Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know. <clears throat> and obviously not. And so I started. Uh, <laughs> I started. <laughs> I started to realize this. I started paying attention to what I cared about. But you don't discover this. It's just like art. Like I didn't discover that my characters were bad because I didn't understand anatomy. Like I just truly didn't understand it. That's why my characters didn't feel like they actually had bones and muscles and they can actually walk around and shit. Right? I didn't discover that until like like I started to realize like why doesn't my characters feel fulfilled? And I learned this a lot because of I didn't have that anatomy. You know. I didn't have that perspective. I didn't have this. Like, I, I, I would show someone my portfolio, and they say, work on your edges. So I'll go back and work on my edges. I would show someone in my portfolio, and they say, work on your materials. So okay. I'm going to work on my materials, right? So you, can, you have to have that story and tell it to people, and then they can tell you it's boring. And say, so, okay, then it's boring. Let me try to make it not boring. Uh, it's a comedy, and you're trying to tell the, uh, uh, a comedy to somebody, and you're not making them laugh. So maybe it's not fucking funny. Right? Like you can say, oh, and then he says a joke. You can't just do that. Like, what's the joke? I think they do do that in Hollywood. Like, you watch films and they do seem to have done oh. that. They'd be like, right, okay, the script requires a joke. And then they just forgot to put the joke in. Yeah, and oh. it's, fucking, it's a fucking shame, right? It, it's like, that's why, like, if you watch all the old movies, they have a lot of personality. Even horror movies, like The Poltergeist. Like, there's a scene in The Poltergeist where the, the main, like, the, the father goes 
like to try to watch TV, and his neighbor has the same remote control. And so they have this kind of weird like remote control battle where they keep changing each other's channels. Right? And it's funny. Yeah, it cracks you up. It's like a real situation. It's like a real kind of thing that people can probably experience in real life. And this isn't a horror film. Why did they do this? Why did Spielberg and all these like kinds of directors do these type of things? To make you care about the people. So when their fucking house tries to eat their children and starts to do crazy shit, you actually give a damn. You know? You yeah, actually don't like want the, them to be in exactly. trouble anymore. You want them to get out of it. Okay. And I think that's important. I think like, the house is a good example because uh, you watch movies nowadays and the houses are always immaculate. Whereas you watch a house in those movies, that era, they're always scruffy, normal looking family houses. You know, nice and comfortable, but, um, you know, there's toys on the floor and there's, there's dishes in the sink. That doesn't happen anymore. If you watch movies, they're always immaculate. And I think there's that lack of realism in that catalogue model perfection that you see a lot, which I don't like. Yeah, yeah. You, 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 need, to, you need to put a little bit of personality, right? But like, Getting back to the kind of the main point, you won't discover this. Like these are the kinds of things I've discovered in a year and a half of me trying to develop my own stories and my own IPs, and pitching it in front of people, like which is the most nerve wracking thing, you know. But it's important to do, even if it's just to your family and friends, right? Because uh, you just you just never know if it's any good, right? And if you want it to be something that's put in front of not just your friends and family. But in front of millions of people, or even like not more modest, like hundreds of thousands of people, it you need to test that. You know what I mean? Uh, I think I would like to add to this, and this is this is something uh, involved with the uh, graphic novel that I'm working on. Is that and we did a Kickstarter for it. Uh, is do as much research about what you want to do as possible. Like certain things. You definitely discover it along the way, but if you can avoid it, avoid it to be as painful, or at least be prepared for it, then you're gonna be uh, better off. Like for instance, doing the graphic novel stuff. Like I, we realize we just simple need simply need departments because it's just so much work. It's like if you take if you have our book is gonna be forty six pages. Each page has five six panels. Each panel has five six ideas. Now multiply multiply those numbers together. You have about twelve thirteen hundred numbers of imagery. And that's the storyboards. Then you have character concept arts. You have environment concept arts, and that's and all those things need to hit the, the narrative storytelling of your IP of your of your story. So whatever you do, we want to think about, like, just don't think about, oh, here's a cool visual thing in my head of a spaceship on this planet. You know, start researching in actual practicality and how to achieve. Yeah, uh, it's a full-time job, dude. It's, it's a full-time job, and combine that with freelance and family life and children and girlfriend, and, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's difficult. Yep. <clears throat> All right, let's it go is. on to two more questions. We have to end this stream soon. Uh, sorry to interrupt. <laughs> the next Way question. to kill the buzz. <laughs> God damn it. Um, do you guys ever do uh, talks for universities or would you guys be open to it? Yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. Always. We can just answer that real quick. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Let's move on. One more question. I really need to go very soon. So let's uh, have one more question and wrap it up. All right, last question says, how do we uh, better ourselves or identify the areas of our work that we need to improve on or progress in? 
what you're afraid of. The stuff that you're afraid of, generally afraid of it because it's difficult and you can't do it very well. Like I'm a bit afraid of humans, uh, not just in real life, but in uh, in art. So I tend to use Daz, but I think I, you know that's uh, an area that I'm weak in is destroying anatomy. Like Anthony's saying about you know can't draw people unless you know your anatomy. That's one of mine, and it kind of I'm afraid of it. It kind of annoys me, but that's how I know it's one of the things I need to hit. Same here. Yeah, I think it's. I think whenever you are bad at anything, you know, you just ask yourself that simple question: like, do you see the importance of learning it? You know, is there some value there, and is there time, right? And you just ask yourself those questions, and if the answers are yes to like all that, then just try it, right? Like, yes, I see. Like what Mateo was saying, like, I see the importance of learning 3D. Do I have time? Yeah, I have about an hour or so of time. I can invest in this. Well, can I do that? Yes, I'll do it. And then he'll just start doing it, right? Why not? Like, it doesn't have to be yeah. full throttle every time. Just start small. It doesn't have to be the most, yeah. ex- like, extreme case of, like, you know, getting into something. Just start small, and, and then you'll be surprised. Learning 3D is like learning a language. Learning 3D is like learning English. And you don't need to speak every word of English to be able to speak in English. You know, you can, you can get away with conversational English, even if you're a relative beginner. Um, so that's exactly the same with 3D. Maybe you can't compose perfect poems or whatever yet until you've really mastered the language but you can still ask someone you know how to get around and become friends with people and stuff yep I, I'm not gonna <laughs> I, have a, I have a habit because... of being an awkward moment sorry about that <laughs> <laughs> the chase good at awkward moments so awkward <laughs> uh, no I, I totally like I literally have nothing to add I mean you guys pretty much answered this question ideally so um anyways uh it's been it's been good chatting uh I, I really pleased to have you guys here and you know give us insights uh, we had some spin-off conversations uh but that's like the great thing about this chat we just keep it open and and uh you know try to cover as many grounds as we can but if if some interesting discussion happens then it's it's a worth a while to to continue it um yeah, so thanks again for showing up. Uh, thanks for John and, and, and AJ to help help me run this thing today. Uh, Andrew Chipotle couldn't, couldn't be here today, so uh, hopefully he's going to be on the next one. <laughs> oh, always a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for having so, us. Yeah, you, guys, much, uh, you guys out there have a good night. And, uh, you know, anyone who's listening from here in this, this part of the world, uh, have a great rest of the day. And... Uh, See you next time. Yep. See you guys. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye. Bye.